You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. So, do you come to Milwaukee often? Well, I'm a regular visitor here, but Milwaukee has certainly had its share of visitors. The French missionaries and explorers were coming here as early as the late 1600s to trade with the Native Americans. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at films in a franchise one movie at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi, with me as Thrasher. Party time! Excellent! And Alex Miller. We got $5,000. We got $5,000. the first I'm hearing about it. Excuse me. We were talking about Wayne's World, the first one from 1992. Directed by Penelope Spiris, with a screenplay by Mike Myers, Bonnie Turner, and Terry Turner. This was the uh, first Saturday Night Live movie since the Blues Brothers. Yeah, that I think like been... the first major one in the 90s, right? Mm-hmm. And this one, you know, was a big success, and it brought on, you know, Wayne's World 2, which we'll talk about next week, but also things like Coneheads, uh, The Ladies' Man. Uh, I mean, it's the 90s bad. was kind of, the 90s was the real heyday for SNL films. It's and bad. I'm a bit yeah. confused why we haven't seen any. Since, you know, recently, except for maybe MacGruber, which got a movie, and then that's getting a, some kind of online series. In the next yeah, that was like, so. what, 2011, 20? Uh, yeah, something like that. I mean, it's been like about 10 years, you know, and you had, but I mean, in the, in the 90s, you had like Ladies Man, you had. Uh, oh, uh, the, not Superstar. the Boogie one. Stuart Saves His Family. Yeah. Stuart Saves His Family, Night at the Roxbury. Night at the Roxbury, thank you. Not Boogie Nights, but. <laughs> those people boogieing at night so and <laughs> exactly well and and um you know mike myers was pretty new to uh to snl i think he'd only been on for a few years before this sketch kind of blew up and he got this movie and, well that it, this uh wayne's world was one of the infamous 10 to 1 sketches just one of those weird sketches that they just burn off right before the end of the show but like a lot of 10 to 1 sketches it turned into the biggest thing like it just got a huge overwhelming response uh would sometimes open snl uh and it became it just became a regular staple of the show more than that it became a sketch that guests wanted to do like uh right. that's like very quickly you get Wayne's World sketches built around getting some famous person to do some weird bit of shtick. But unlike a lot of sketches that got popular, they never let the special guests dominate the sketch, which was great. Even when they had Wayne's World, or even when they had the Aerosmith come on a Wayne's World sketch to sing a song about Wayne's World, it was still a Wayne's World sketch. Although I think my favorite is when it was, uh, oh gosh, when it, uh, when it was uh, Bruce, uh, I can't believe I'm forgetting it, Mr. Die Hard. Oh, uh, yeah, Bruce Willis. Yeah, yeah Bruce Willis. It was Bruce Willis on and, 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 as the character of the coolest kid in school who had <laughs> dropped out and was now in his 20s. <laughs> 
And every year he came up with the cool word all the kids would say. <laughs> it was just such a great bit. I think he only has like three lines. Yeah. Whole sketch. It's like the perfect format too to have a talk show within a sketch comedy show because you know it's again the show within the show format. So you kind of just get to run wild with it with a with whatever guest you have. And also, I kind of think that it was like kind of like a passing of the torch from like the old guard to the I guess newer guard of SNL cast I think you guys are more well versed in your SNL lore than I am but um I think some people are a little apprehensive of like you know Dana Carvey and Mike Myers and these other guys you know because coming from like you know Belushi, Aykroyd and fucking all those the classics you know and then Wayne's World kind of blew up and become this like you know thing and uh kind of solidified these guys as like you know full oh yeah I mean in in the 80s Saturday Night Live, you know, you had that initial five years, I think, through 79 or 80, 75 through 80. And then they, the initial first cast, you know, Lauren Michaels wasn't doing it for a bit. It was called, in some of the ads, SNL, The Next Generation. And you the had Gene Gilbert, Demanian years. Gene Demanian years, yeah, where it had a different showrunner. And you had uh, Gilbert Gottfried, uh, Charles Rocket. Um, oh, yeah. John uh, Lovitz. John, I mean, John Lovitz was the only one that, like, kept on, but... By the time in the 90s, SNL had a really like overstuffed cast. And but you mentioned passing the torch, Alex, and you're right, because you had older people with a different kind of style of comedy, like like uh, Phil Hartman, and then you had kind of the new guard, like Mike Myers, um, Chris Farley, uh, Adam Sandler. You know, it was a different kind of comedy style, and uh, more. Some people called it stupider. I mean, it was kind of controversial at the time. When Phil Hartman left, he complained about like the new people ruining the show a little bit. Yeah, you know, his I feel like we're always gonna get that too, though. I, I, sure, sure. And everyone, I mean, that is part of comedy is that it it changes in the style. And I think now with, uh, I mean, the way comedy is now, it's just so very meta, and there's a lot of anti-humor stuff going on. I mean, it's all all sort all kinds of crazy things. And with um, Wayne's World. You know, most of the time SNL is like really good sets that look accurate to what they're spoofing, but this is about a show, a public access show that looks like it's filming in a guy's basement and there's something. Well, it is. Endear- it is, right? And it, it's endearing. They do the top 10 list. Uh, the one with the guests that really was on the show that jumped out to me was Madonna. I thought that was a pretty <laughs> famous one where she just kind of comes out and they all go crazy and. Uh, I think the funny thing, too, is that um, I think, you know, like a lot of people our age, I saw this movie when I was, you know, like, I don't know, like six, seven years old. So, like, the movie, Wayne and Garth are, like, the coolest guys ever. Like, they have a show, they play music, they hang out with babes, like, they are so funny. And then when you watch the skits on SNL, you actually get the irony that, like, they're, like, older dudes living in their mom's basement, you know, like. You know, then the series, it's like, you know, like, Wayne, get your damn laundry, you know. Well, and I think, like. You see the irony more in the show than you do the movie, and I think that might be an age thing too, though. Well, I think part of it is that in the uh, in the sketches, they don't really pin down Wayne and Garth's age. They right. could be in high school, or they could be out of high school, or they could be in their their early to mid twenties. It's never really pinned down. They pin it down in the movie when it's you know when it's made clear that that Wayne graduated from high school, and never went to college, is in his early twenties, yeah, and has just kind of just been hanging out, but um. I think I think that's I, although I think like leaving their ages flexible until the movie is part of part of what really kind of kind of made it made it work. Yeah, because if you made them too dorky, they wouldn't be likable, and if you know you made them too young, mm-hmm. they wouldn't seem they seem like kids, you know. But um, uh, and with the 
I mean, the character of Wayne is something that um, Mike Myers had before SNL. He it was on Canadian public television, and and That's he would right. go. There, there's some old clips on YouTube, but like you know, the accents the same, the outfits pretty much the same, but without having Garth for Wayne to play off of makes it a lot lesser of a character because Dana Carvey is Garth. It's a lot of non secretors. What he says frequently seems to come out of nowhere. And just the timing is completely different than Myers. And I think it really works in its favor. Well, it's also Garth sort of Garth sort of gentle quietness is a wonderful (laughs) counterpoint to to all of of Wayne's energy. And I remember uh, when the, when the movie became huge, there was, there was uh, an interview that Mike Myers did where he kind of boiled down to that that Wayne Wayne embodies everything he thought was cool when he was twelve, or everyone he thought was cool <laughs> when he was twelve. And I also love that he's kind of like a mad scientist too. <laughs> like yeah. you get that he's a complete like genius savant, you know? Like he can oh, guard, the yeah. drums, like guard, you know, yeah. Van Halen, and uh, can is engineering weird hands and shit. <laughs> well, which I love is that something I love is that aside from that one gadget in the beginning. Uh, nothing really comes to that until the end when there's that, what what I would argue is quite possibly the best hacking scene in any film. And, yeah, and definitely. We'll, we'll get to that. Um, I, I was doing some research here and there's a uh, Dana Carvey was on Howard Stern recently. And I say recently, it's probably a few years ago at this point, but he was mentioning that he almost uh, quit out of doing Wayne's world because there wasn't a lot in the script for Garth to do. And he kept on writing bits and he would give it to Mike Myers, and the and they say, "Oh yeah, we'll incorporate this," and they never incorporated his ideas into the script. So he huh. really felt like he wasn't given enough to do in this one, and they gave him more to do in the second movie. As a result, I mean, there is a lot in this movie. The sketch doesn't have much of a plot to go off of, so you have a lot in the beginning of Wayne facing the camera, going like, "I'm Wayne. Oh, this is the donut shop. This is the <laughs> this is the music store. This is the club." There's a total hose beast here. I mean, it's a lot of him addressing the camera, kind of making it the main show. But also, like with Garth, because he's quiet, like what would he, I'm not quite sure what he'd be doing. Well, what I love is that, like, um, I, with a lot of people I've talked to, like, Garth ends up being their favorite character just because he's so awkward and nervy. Yep. Like the moment where he's in the donut shop when he literally says like, "Hey, what's over there?" and goes like, eh. "Like I've literally done that before." <laughs> like if I'm like talking to someone, I'm like, "Hey, what's up?" and make like the saunter away noise like, eh. um, and I think those are almost more memorable. Like when he does the thing <laughs> when he talks when he goes under the table, he's like, "Remember the that episode of the Twilight Zone where they cut off the guy's tongue and the tongue doesn't die?" And I don't even think that is a Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> But it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's a it's got two it's got two other interesting things going for it. That one, it's a movie that really wants you to know it's a movie. It's very it's very meta. Before, like I guess I guess when you when you look at the meta timeline, you've got Tristram Shandy, you've got this, and then you've got everything from two thousand onward. Um, right. And then the other thing is. This is a very nerd-friendly movie. If you're a TV oh, yeah. nerd, it, it's rewarding. If you're a sci-fi nerd, it's rewarding. But it's not science fiction or any of those things. It's just like it, it exists within a media landscape that, exactly. that we are intimately familiar with. Oh, and, and what I love too is oh, sorry. 
Oh, what I love too is that with um, Penelope Spheres is kind of the perfect person to direct this because she has a savvy you know, with you know doing the decline of Western civilization movies. So you buy that this is coming from someone who likes metal, who likes Aerosmith, who likes Alice Cooper, and all that stuff. And like the edge and like the goofy like fun part of it kind of meld really perfectly under her direction because I think she's got a great sense of humor and as well as knowing good music and how to balance it out. Like like I love Phil that is always like kind of wasted. I love that, like, you know, it's not like the bronze and Buffy where you just have, like, these, like, you know, nondescript, like, kids, like, hanging around not drinking, you know what I mean? Like, they get well, drinks and hang out and stuff. Well, that's one of the things is, is uh, like, ha- having been in, in my 20s, this this movie is very well observed of, oh, yeah. ab- about sort of the, the American post in, post-war, post-industrial, early 20s experience. Like, I, th- I think we all have that friend who anytime we hang out with them, they're inexplicably wasted. You'll notice we never see him drink or do drugs, but he's always coming down from yep. somebody. I know I know three people like that. Or yeah, knew three I, people like that. The one thing I didn't pick up on until I watched it in preparation for this episode was that that he's the mechanic. So you actually see he actually has like an everyday life. He's not just like a wasteoid. And he's like, hey, did you see that band last night? Like total babe singer. Like, yeah, dude, we were there. <laughs> he's just that trashed. He did not remember at all. And it's nice they're, they're friends like that. It, it all feels very lived in, which oh, yeah. is really something because you, you have a lot more characters than the show when they're sketching the show, which is just the two guys on the couch. And how do you make that into a movie? I mean, that's a pretty tall order. And you, you do have a plot in here, but it's not like a super heavy plot with a lot going on. And I think the simplicity is one of its uh, one of its keys. Um, well, it's, well, that's the that's the genius of it is that you're made to think that it's a rags to riches story, but it absolutely is not. It is a relationship story. Yep. At the end of the day, yeah, you're right. And with um, Rob Lowe, I mean, he would later also be in in Tommy Boy. Uh, all these things he did a lot of SNL appearances, but. And so he was on SNL in 1990. It was his first appearance, and uh, this was in 92, so they must have had a good time working with him to have him do a movie. And I think his comedy in here is kind of understated. He was still known as one of the Brat Pack, kind of a pretty boy, and uh, kind of playing these, like, tortured roles. <laughs> and here he plays Benjamin Oliver, who's this uh, producer out of Chicago, and it's a good entry of him into the film where he's... Uh, in bed with his girlfriend and they're watching TV and she's like, Oh, this show's amazing. And he's kind of like always in contempt of, of the Wayne's world people. And yet he understands that people like them. So he's got to find a way to exploit that for financial right. gain. And I think it's like the perfect representation of, you know, he is perfectly cast first of all, as you know, the, the heartless mogul dick mm-hmm. guy. And also, um, it's another inspired bit because it's like you can tell this stuff probably happened a lot back then where someone's like, oh, my God, this Beavis and Butthead show is so funny. And, you know, this network executive is probably like, I have no idea what the appeal is here, but like I see a lot of people liking it. So let's let's capitalize on this. You know, the, the thing about his character is that he sort of has like toxic levels of smug. But what makes it work is he never really does any bits and he's just completely deadpan smug at all times, right. oh, which yeah. is why when he does a little thing, it's such a big response. Like when he tries to in, to impress Cassandra by ordering Chinese food and he's speaking fluent Cantonese and in the middle of this fluent, fluent Cantonese, Mountain Dew, Pepsi Cola and then back <laughs> into Cantonese. It's so good. 
And it's funny, too, because, like, Wayne's Cantonese is pretty good. But, like, his is just a little bit better. Like, his accent's a little better. He mm-hmm. does it a little more, like, fluently, you know. And, you know, a big part of the plot is um, Benjamin Rabelow's character has a, has a client, Noah Vanderhoff, played by Brian Doyle, Doyle Murray, who owns yeah. a, a group of arcades called Noah's Arcade. I didn't even understand that joke. Yeah, I didn't get that until this time around. <laughs> I'm glad that's a phenomenon because I, when I first saw that the movie, I'm like, oh yeah, Noah's Arcade, that's clever, and and that's even a running gag that like his wife, who is this perfect, not that smart character, is the <laughs> one who came up with it. Like it's the perfect, it's a, it's a joke so so low lowbrow that it sneaks up on people. You have no idea how many people I know, like in the like early, like knew back when I was a teenager, just out of nowhere. Wait a minute, Noah's arcade, <laughs> which <laughs> like, is totally it's... this guy right here. <laughs> yeah, well, I... and as as they talk about the arcade, like they never use real video game names, but they sound like they could be. Well, they all, right. they all sound they all sound plausible. They oh, also yeah. hearken to that you got to feed in quarters, ridiculously difficult game design. But also, it's clearly written by people who knows nerd stuff. Because like, what's what's Zoltar? He's a gelatinous cube, <laughs> right? Which is a Dungeons and Dragons uh, enemy in the Monster Manual. And uh, I mentioned that we've listeners we tried to record this a few times and just had a lot of technical difficulties but you know there, there was a lot of video games over uh, wayne's world and on the the one for super nintendo and genesis the final boss is a gelatinous cube that has garth trapped in there what a which is pretty awesome reference on. yeah it's a <laughs> reference but unless you had seen the movie recently i don't think you would get that either yeah it's i don't a- think if you if you said wayne's world to anyone they wouldn't be like gelatinous cube <laughs> <laughs> you know, that would be like the last thing made reference. What's so weird, because that is like a copyrighted slash trademarked monster that would, that was owned by by TSR at the time the movie was made, Wizards of the Coast now. And that's in that's in the video game. But in the video game, there are these like interstitials where they reproduce jokes from the movie. There's a Grey Poupon joke in the movie. They couldn't get the rights to Grey Poupon in the video game. So the joke is just Garth asking, do you have any mustard? <laughs> and the text in the screen goes so slowly it feels like it takes like five minutes oh my goodness to recreate this one minute scene but yeah that gray poupon thing was very uh very I big at the time and i mean you mentioned only thing that probably wouldn't translate like if you watch that with someone today they have no i mean i barely remember the gray poupon commercials and i think i remember the gray poupon commercials because wayne's referenced them <laughs> sure and with um I mean, you mentioned this is a movie about relationships, and I mean, at its heart, it does have some romantic comedy stuff in there, with the Tiara Carrere plays Cassandra Wan, who is the lead vocalist of Crucial Taunt, and uh, Tia Carrere... Plausible band name. Oh, yeah. Very plausible, and Tia Carrere is a Hawaiian actress of Chinese, Filipino, and Spanish uh, ancestry. Well, this... Well, this was like the, and she, you know, friend of the sequel cast, she was on Lilo and Stitch. And like for for many of us, this was our introduction to Tia Carrera, but she had been appearing in films and television since 1985. Like she has a very robust career even before this movie. Yeah, I was impressed looking up her filmography. I kind of felt like 
a little, you know, I thought like, again, Wayne's World was like, or I thought I'd see like two or three screen credits before Wayne's World. Meanwhile, like you said, it goes all the way back to 1985. Oh, and then later on, she would win uh, Emmys for a lot of her Hawaiian albums. So, I mean, she, oh. she can actually sing. And, you know, on the album, there's she does the cover of Ballroom Blitz and has a lot of energy. And, and the way Penelope Spiris uh, shoots the, the scenes at the uh, club are... You know, very energetic, very crowded. It, it feels like a real kind of grungy sort of place. It doesn't look too too clean looking. Um, and yet in this film, when you see how they do Wayne's World, they don't have a top 10 list in here, do they? I think that's kind of odd. Well, I think I think it's because they, they don't try to rely on the bits from the sketches. Instead, this is this is this is a story that Wayne and Garth inhabit. So as a result, it's a lot of new material. Yeah, I think because um, I remember like after the movie blew up, then I backtracked and bought. Remember, you could like rent like videotapes of SNL sketches, you know, like the best, best of Wayne's job. World. Yeah, so we'd rent those, and it felt so much so different because yeah, I didn't have all the fourth wall breaking and the you know all the other stuff, and it was pretty surprising. But um, as its own movie, it really works really well. And I mean, like also like raise your hand if this was your introduction to Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, uh, the, yeah. yeah. So this. This, and I'm not joking, this came up on like a, a rockumentary I saw uh, several years ago. But the, so at the time this movie came out, Queen was pretty much a nerd band. The only people who cared yeah. about Queen were rock and roll nerds and fantasy nerds who were fans of Highlander. This movie brought new life to Queen, both in terms of fandom and the career of the surviving band members. Because, like, again, no nobody cared. And then this movie plays the most rockin' part from Queen's weirdest song. <laughs> and suddenly people want to hear it. It's getting requested oh, yeah. on the radio. The music video re-enters circulation on MTV and VH1. Uh, the surviving members of Queen reunite and start touring again, uh, and 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 here we are. Like, no, I, I I'm not joking. I don't think anyone but rock and roll nerds would give a damn about Queen today if it was not for this movie. And the funny thing too is that originally it was going to be Welcome to the Jungle uh, by Guns and Roses, and Mike Myers was like, no, like we're doing Bohemian Rhapsody. Like this is going to be the song, you know. And I guess it was a bit of a source of a source of contention and. Obviously, they made the right choice, and here well, we are talking about Bohemian Rhapsody. Well, it's so perfect, because it is, it is the type of song that only these kinds of care, people would have cared about at the time. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Nerdy music guys who were in their basement playing around with, you know, guitars and drums and jamming out and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, when the film came out, it was a few months after the lead singer of Queen, Freddie Mercury, had died of AIDS. Mm. And but he yeah. was able to see the footage and, and approve it and thought it was very really? funny. Oh, that's sweet. Okay, I didn't know and, that. And so that's that's nice. And also, I mean, that led Queen becoming popular again because this movie led to Mike Myers having a small role in the film Bohemian Rhapsody about the band Queen, where he plays a kind of music agent that says, "Oh, Queen will never work." Yeah. He's like, "What are you gonna have teenagers?" Yeah. <laughs> Hello, my name is Jonathan Dunn, and I'm inviting you to listen to Our Three Cents, a weekly podcast where myself and two of my very best gaming chums are counting down our top 100 favourite video games of all time. For all the episodes and information, check out our website, www.our3cents.co.uk. Hi, we're Ellen, Stephen, and Mark, hosts of Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. Topics include programming, design, tools, and more. We also do interviews and one-hour game jams. Listen to Nice Games Club wherever you get to your... 
wherever you get to your podcast. You get there <laughs> or at nicegames.club. And I mean, I mentioned the film Feeling Kind of Lived In. We get a character of Wayne's ex-girlfriend, Stacy, played by <laughs> Laura Flynn Boyle, uh, who's perhaps most famous for uh, Twin Peaks. Um, I'm still mad at her for not reprising her role in uh, Fire Walk with me. Yeah, that was a little, that was a little frustrating. Too much money, and that was pretty awkward to have a major role played by someone different than in the show. But anyway, but yeah, but here as Stacy, you know, it's not a big part, but just she's just the obsession. She's obsessed, but like cheery at the same time. It's a really <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. She she she's a she's a stalker, but like it's it, it, she's a weird she's a weird kind of harmless stalker. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I love like there's a line where she's like. Um, when wait when Garth's waiting to go to the bathroom, I think she's like, "What's going on with like Wayne? Like we haven't talked or anything." He's like, "Well, you guys broke up. Like that's what happens when you break up. You don't talk." <laughs> he was like, just because we just because we broke up two months ago, that doesn't mean we can't still go out. No, that's yeah. exactly what it means. <laughs> <laughs> A gun rack. And uh, uh, the characters like Ed O'Neill has a small part of Glenn, the the manager at the donut shop, and I love when the camera follows him. <laughs> and he talks about killing a man in the heat of passion and yeah. this is really dark. Well, he clearly, like, there's something, like, clearly he's a character with a lot of fucked up backstory we only <laughs> just get the very tip of. But it's so great. And then, like, Wayne's like, hey, hey, only I get to talk to the camera. <laughs> but, yeah, every everything he says is just so weird, you know. If you kill a man in the dead of winter, steam will rise from the wound. <laughs> the Native American peoples thought that it was the soul escaping <laughs> the body. And, like... <laughs> <laughs> you get you get the feeling he's he's done some shit. <laughs> oh yeah, he's like either in witness protection or something. And I also think it's funny because like this is back in you know I guess peripheral to like you know like the Tipper Gore stuff and like heavy metal. It's like watch out for those long hair kids. And then you have this like you know very unassuming guy who's the real you know who's the real scary dude. You know what I mean? Right. It's like you know long hair headbangers. They're they're actually probably like adorable people. <laughs> and then meanwhile. <laughs> You've got, you know, freaking Jeffrey Dahmer behind the counter. But they, they get so, yes, yeah, so th there's a lot of business that happens in and around the Stan Makita's donut shop, which is like a, a donut shop themed after the hockey player Stan Makita's. I don't know if it's a, if, like, if it was a real shop or if they made it up for the movie, but it's just, it will get the sugar puffs, excellent snack, sugar puffs, excellent snackage. But it, it, the donut, the donut shop business is just so great. Hello, Mister Donut Head Man. I heard someone's trying to kill you. Who is it? I don't know, I but know they better not. <laughs> I mean, it has to be. He's like, yeah, it has to be a reference to the the popular Canadian chain Tim Hortons, which is named after a, a hockey player, and yeah. they have donuts and coffee, and they're open twenty four hours. Well, the funny thing is, it is a re it is a real place. So the. Oh. Uh, King, so uh, King's Dominion is this uh, this sort of vaguely Paramount themed, at least at the time, uh, amusement park mm -hmm. uh, in Virginia. And and I, uh, m when I was in middle school and high school band, we at the end of every year we would do this band competition, and then we would spend the rest of the day at King's Dominion. And Wayne's World was so big, they remodeled part of the park to be the Wayne to be like a little Wayne's World world. It had replicas of the set. It had multiple mirth mobiles. Um, <laughs> it had 
it had a wooden roller coaster one of the one of the few wooden roller coasters built after the 19 built after like 1983 called the hurler um but it had a stan makita's donut shop it had a, an exact replica of the place from this movie you could go in and get donuts and drinks and things that's awesome and Can i'm looking at billy donut with the straw <laughs> I don't recall if they had that or not, but I hope they did. Yeah. I'm yes. looking up his uh, Wikipedia page right now, and he kind of looks like like a little Frank Sinatra almost. It's kind of funny. Hmm. Hockey in the night. <laughs> it's it's pretty bizarre watching this. I've seen uh, Chris Farley in a very, very small part. Oh. He's in and a yeah, yellow he shirt. He's, uh, he's yes. energetic and, and uh, he's just wonderful as always. He does that great, like, sort of, like, fast, immediate stop body motion that he was so good at. And, like, and yet all he does is deliver, like, deliver exposition about a record producer. This is something that I that I love. And this is, the this is strangely enough, what first, like, made me aware of the whole storytelling technique of, like, laying pipe, of inserting something in their first act that'll pay off in the third act. This movie is loaded with it. I mean, oh, there, yeah. there are jokes that only work... Because there are jokes that seem like non sequiturs that are set up in the first act. And oh yeah, and like so they even reference it. He's like, it seemed kind of extraneous at the time. <laughs> well, even at the time, to say, wow, that's an awful lot of information that he just gave right. us. Mm-hmm. And even then, even though they're pointing it out and breaking the fourth wall and stuff, it's like still like a better screenplay than a lot of comedies we get now. <laughs> like, <laughs> like all the setups and everything are very deliberate and everything, but it's actually like very, it's still got like a pretty good structure to it. And oh, and I, I love the big joke you get with Noah's Arcade as they decide to sign up with them and have them as a sponsor. They have to make the show more polished, and you get a really lame version of the Wayne's World theme. Oh, yeah, the processed yeah. version. Wayne's World. Oh, and then instead <laughs> of having them do their own intros, there's that, like, that, like, d- cut rate Don Pardo. You're watching yeah. Wayne world party on way party on earth there's like a little reverb like wait world 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 yeah and and you have uh when uh noah vanderhoff the head of noah's arcade goes on the show there at there's the great gag where uh wayne is having all the signs he's holding up next to him like he has those cards with the pre-written questions but he's put he's put writing on the back this guy blows goats goats. (laughs) He, he blows goats i have proof we, we know what's what's genius is because of course Wayne does get into trouble from Benjamin for that. We never see Noah's reaction to that, but that like odd, the, yeah. the implication is that Noah is a good sport about it, and he appreciates yeah. what Wayne's world is trying to do, despite I the fact he, that he has contempt for young people. He does respect what they're trying to right. do and how it can help his business. I also like that after I think he goes up to his wife and he's like, "I think I nailed it." <laughs> She's like, "You were great." <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, and like everything, you know, wow, the camera's so big. I, I love when she's like looking at the, she's like, wow, the camera's so big. And the cameraman or the tech guy from the show just leans in, ma'am, do I frighten you? No. <laughs> Would you like me to? And like, <laughs> she gets a little flushed. God, there's so many, there's um, some great stuff in that set. I love that one of the tech guys too is Lee Turgeson, who would be uh, Beecher in Oz. I don't know if you guys are big Oz fans, but I think he might be the I love you guy. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's another guy that we all knew in our twenties. Yeah, exactly. The the overly huggy guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I guess I guess we ought to we, yeah we ought to we ought to break break down the story at least somewhat. So like you know yeah. Wayne and Garth they really kind of have no direction, but Benjamin sees an opportunity of being able to use their show to promote the Noah's Arcade. So for uh, five thousand dollars each, they 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 sort of sign over <laughs> the rights to the show, and it moves to a real like local affiliate, not just the public access. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, Wayne falls in love with uh with with. Tia Carrera and starts building a relationship there. Uh, the deal goes sour. Benjamin tries to uh, starts trying to produce music for Tia Carrera, but is really just trying to take her for himself. Uh, which leads which leads to some great stuff. Like I love all the behind the scenes music video stuff. I love Wayne crashing the music video shoot, thinking that it's fake. That like there's yeah. no actual business being done because because Benjamin's trying to exploit people from all sides. And I oh, just yeah. love that. We both know there's no film in this camera. And he <laughs> opens the camera and all that film starts pouring yeah. out and it doesn't stop. It and just like, keeps going. And, and being like probably among one of the last generations of film student to actually work with film, I can only think of how many hundreds of dollars of film are being ruined for that joke. <laughs> I love it also when she's like, is that true? And he's like, yeah. Uh, Everything except the reading part. <laughs> oh yeah, when he gives yeah when he gives that big dramatic speech and like the Oscar clip caption shows up. Yeah. He throws water in his face while he's <laughs> crying. But the worst part is I never learned to read. And I think I've like done that before jokingly, like uh, oh, yeah. you know, like splash front of me. He's like, I never learned how to read. Man. Well, there's, well, there's some great captions jokes. Like there's a great bit where Tia Carrera's like talking with her manager on the phone uh, and and Wayne's sleeping over and he keeps doing like bits. Like and then you know it's some some fun butt stuff that happens and then like then like when she hangs up the phone she's like giggling and he just jumps on top of her and this caption comes up that says gratuitous sex scene but all it is is him like wiggling and going yeah yeah like, it's, it's the least erotic sex scene I do love at the end you have the multiple endings going on that's a great conceit because like it's so great. Yeah, because like they yeah, so the whole the whole actually said about the greatest hacking thing ever. They talk about how like well the well they like we got to get her with a better manager and like Mr. Biggs like the best producer on the West Coast and he's like touring the country looking for new acts and and Garth does this whole thing about how he's going to hack into into defense department satellites to route signals directly into the TV in the guy's limo and 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 we do see him do this, but like it's just like a quick cut, and we're in, and he's at a keyboard. There's no like fake drama of him like right. typing. It's just he delivers the exposition, then they do it. Um, but yeah, but uh, you know they do the whole. She play does her live performance. Mister Big shows up, says you've got a lot of talent, but I just don't think you're ready. Uh, I'm not going to sign you. And then Stacy comes in. Wayne, I'm pregnant. That's why I've been acting so. That's why I've been acting so moody. And then like the equipment. Catches on fire, the house burns down, Garth dies, and like Wayne's <laughs> carrying his corpse. Like, oh, that's awful. Let's do the Scooby Doo ending. And then they just do a final act from Scooby Doo in the middle of the, the music performance. And what I love is they rip they rip Benjamin's face off, and it's old man Withers, the guy who runs the haunted amusement park. When they first go to Stan Makita's donuts. That guy is sitting at the counter and they say, hey, dude, how's the amusement park business going? Like, it's set up. 
Yeah. And they, they set up the fire thing too, because in the first opening, you see the like trans, you see the receiver like catch and spark, and he has to hit it with a wrench. Yeah. So it's all set up so perfectly. Enough for the Scooby Doo ending. You get the mega, the mega happy, happy ending. ending. Right. Yeah. She get she gets signed. Uh, but then every character then explains their character growth, and like Benjamin's like, you know, I've realized that you know all my all you know my good looks, my money, my connections, they can get you almost to the top but they can't get you everything. And like, he's humbled. And then, you know, the, the, the sort of like the sycophant guys, like I've learned that platonic love can exist between two grown men. And like, you know, every character just and like does their thing. One of my favorite lines is I love you dream woman. Oh <laughs> yeah. Like she shows up out of nowhere. The girl <laughs> that Garth was had a crush on. And then like, and it's this big kind of schmaltzy ending. And then they completely break it. Like, I gotcha. And then the credits start. And then we get we get mid credit and post credit sequences of just Wayne and Garth reading magazines, wondering why there's still people in the audience. <laughs> that was pretty Which, unusual at this time, you know. Ferris Bueller's Day Off had that. Um, certainly, like things like Jackie Chan movies had bad stunts gone wrong and stuff. Right. Uh, but for comedies to have stuff after the credits, now you almost are disappointed if you don't see that. They do it in so right. many movies. And just that's way ahead of its time. And um, mm. another meta bit of business, a, a quick bit of trivia. The producer, Hawk uh, Koch, um, he was, again, kind of like Ben, kind of like his son was like, Dad, you got to do the Wayne's World movie. You got to do the Wayne's World movie. And he's like, all right, cool. So he, it turns out one day it's like bring your kid to work day. And he does. And it's a scene with the Robert Patrick scene. And the original line was that Robert Patrick was going to pull Wayne over. And he's going to say something like, oh, did you know you were speeding? And then as they're filming it, the kid just blurts out, like, that's not funny. And he's like, well, why not? He's like, well, because that's not what the guy says. It's just like the, the T-1000 never hunts, you know, said pulled people over for speeding. So he's thinking like, oh, God, bring your kid to work day. Like, this kid's going to get me fired or something. And it turns out that um, what they did is that with the bit when he's like, have you seen this boy? That's the kid. That's a Polaroid of the producer's son that he holds <laughs> up. So that was just like an on the fly bit of business they did that day. And it's like mm. one of the one of the best gags in the movie. And, and they commit to it. It's like not only do we get the T two and Wayne recognizes him and just peels off, but then he starts running after the car yes. just yeah. like in the movie. <laughs> oh, great, great bit! That was still T two was still very fresh in everyone's mind at the time. And that was kind of mind blowing at the time because I I didn't know that happened. So like I didn't know other movies could like intersect. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's pretty wild. Right, that's something you'll see a lot. Um, nowadays, but it was pretty unusual, and uh, yeah, overall, I would give sequel yes to Wayne's World. I think it it holds up pretty well. It it does have a story, but it's not so it doesn't have so many hoops to jump through that it feels forced. Uh, Wayne and Garth, of course, have good chemistry as they did on the show, and it it expands the world of Wayne's World, which is something you don't always, you know, some of the other SNL films kind of belabor that too much. Yeah, it's not the sketch, but bigger. Repetitive. It's its own thing. That, that's yeah. right. I think that's the real key. If it was just the sketch over and over again after 20 minutes, you might get bored. But because it has a story and a thorough line and a love interest and all these things, it's uh, it really holds up. Alex. Yeah, I'm going to give it a, a oh. sequel yes as well. This is this is somehow simultaneously a very tightly written, tightly constructed movie that nevertheless has plenty of room for the characters to just go off and do bits. And it's just so it's just so great seeing the friendship between Wayne and Garth. Uh, you know, this 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 movie was was uh, 
it's kind of a fa- almost a foundational text for me. Uh, and I'm so happy to see that like it still holds up. Yeah, definitely. Um, definite sequel, yes. And it's that perfect blend of of gags and story. And um, and just like the wall breaking and the meta jokes and the multiple endings. It's very ahead of its time. And I still think does it like uh, head and shoulders above many other movies around today. So um, endlessly quotable. And I've probably seen it more times than I can count over the years. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So let's go to uh, picture sequel. But the way this ends, and you have the multiple endings, I think I would just uh, maybe do uh, a sequel that's actually a prequel, and you'd still have Mike Myers and uh, Dana Carvey playing Wayne and Garth, and have them be in high school or something. And they work up the courage to do like the first, it would end with them doing the first Wayne's World show at the public access. And you would have a lot of jokes about them being too old for high school students. Maybe the high school would be full of like 40-year-olds playing high school students, so they look younger in comparison. Uh, And you'd get to meet um, some of Garth's family. I think that could be sort of funny. Yeah, actually, that's one of the jokes from the show, is that his dad was Phil Hartman as the super nerdy guy, and his mom (laughs) was like this, like, was a total babe, I believe, as she was referred to. He's like, Wayne, stop talking about my mom like that. Uh, cool. Um, Alex, what's yours? So my pitch of sequel is that um, this uh, Stacy, in order to um, get back at Wayne or make him jealous, she happens to start dating uh, Michael Knight, played by, of course, David Hasselhoff. And um, they, you know, they go out and, you know, he's trying to make him jealous after walking out of the club and goes into the, the car with Michael Knight, which happens to be Kit from, you know, Knight Rider. And when the car's struck by lightning, her soul is transferred into the car, and she becomes a vengeful, um, you know, motorized hose beast, as they say. And um, it tries to exact revenge on Wayne and Garth. So not only are they being pursued by Wayne's crazy ex, Stacy, but she's also a sentient, uh, super smart car uh, powered by uh, Michael Knight. And uh, Wayne has to rely on Garth's technical cunning to get out of it. It would be called um, Wayne Rider. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Mm. And uh, Thresher. So I would. Uh, so I'm going to do. Uh, I I, uh, I want to. I I because my first instinct would probably end up being the sequel we actually got. So instead, I'm going to do a Wayne's World two that takes place right now. It's going to be contemporary, mm. and the whole premise is it's Wayne. It's like Wayne and Garth like entering like entering their fifties or 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 sixties, however old the timeline would make them, uh, and. The, the sort of whole idea is that you know their their stardom that they that their show did get very very big in uh, the Chicagoland area even got syndicated to some other places they were a huge hit but their career ended w- around when the 90s ended and the internet came about and whatnot and they all and they all went their separate ways Cassa- uh, he does marry he is married to Cassandra but Cassandra you know uh, he, he basically went to sort of like like a house husband like he. Uh, <laughs> Cassandra's the real breadwinner. Garth, uh, turns out Garth is independently wealthy. Like all those, <laughs> like he he lives exactly like he does in this movie, but he's independently wealthy because someone had the foresight to pat to get him to patent some of the things he was tinkering with. So like all this technology we use today, turns out it's based on stuff that that Garth was working on in the nineties. 
Um, but he's, but he still, but he pretty much just lives in like the same, like he bought his parents' house. He still lives in the basement. Um, <laughs> like nothing about him has changed. Uh, uh, and you know, they both are kind of in a part of their lives and they're wondering, huh, where did the time go? And then some, oh, and this is the other thing. Everyone assumes that Wayne's world is lost media, but somebody starts uploading Wayne's world to YouTube and it suddenly becomes big. And like, so like, that's going to be the end, the, like the end of it is all these nineties people find this thing that they loved online. It becomes super big. Wayne and Garth end up, end up reuniting. It's a huge thing. Their friendship is restored and they end up becoming like internet stars and start doing their show through, through like an online service with a, with a, a hefty Patreon. <laughs> But we all make it very, we make it very much like you know, metafictional about new media and things like that. They'll mock, will mock things like actual plays and stuff like that. Which uh, I guess it'll turn out like I'm, sh- I'm sure, like I'm sure, uh, I'm sure Wayne and Cassandra have kids, so like maybe they, you know they'll they'll understand the tech and we'll walk them through it. Yeah, with like reboot culture and like remakes and you know, like the with like a new Bill and Ted, I'm like borderline shocked that Wayne's World hasn't gotten uh, like i'm almost scared to say that hasn't gotten like you know rebooted in some way or another i feel like it's only a matter of time because they because they every now and then like every five years they'll come back on snl and do a wayne's world bit like i feel like they do an oscar thing too like last year yeah yeah yeah. so i feel like it's only a matter of time before before like another wayne's world movie crops up and i would be curious yeah, I mean, we know that that Bill and Ted uh, three finally came out after all those years. So, I mean, yeah. you could do a Wayne's World three certainly. Who knows? Or I don't know. I guess you could do it as a TV series, although I don't think they'd do that. But Mike Myers has been out of the limelight a bit recently. But who knows? We'll see. I wouldn't be surprised if they do something. Um, yeah. But yeah. So, on to excuse me, onto what you're watching. Um, I was excited about the. Bill and Ted face the music, so I was rewatching the first two Bill and Ted movies, uh, Bogus Journey and Excellent Adventure, and it is really, I still feel the same way I did as when I was a kid about them, in that I like the first one, I think, a lot more than the second one. Uh. The second one just seems, Bogus Journey seems to be weird just for the sake of being weird, and yet I admire it for kind of being a sequel doing all these things you wouldn't expect. <laughs> like kill off your protagonist. In the like, first like kill act. off your protagonist, yeah. have, have go to heaven, go to hell. I mean, initially the studio wanted them to do a sequel where Bill and Ted are in college and to study, to pass a paper, they have to use a time machine to go into books, um, which is pretty lazy. And, uh, you know, the, <laughs> the original writers were behind all three movies. It was pretty cool. Um, but, but yeah, just rewatching those. It's, uh, Bogus Journey, like, uh, William Sadler's death is great. Like, there's some good stuff in it, but I just don't... It just doesn't quite work as well, or it's not as, quite as charming uh, as the first one. And I don't think it's trying to be. It's, um... It's its own it, beast. Yeah, it's its own beast. Yeah. They're, they, even though the characters are the same, and they're really endearing of Bill and Ted, it's its own thing, and it's so radically different. I, I watched it for the first time as a sleepover, and I was, like, in the, in the fourth grade or something. And I was just so thrown for a loop. I'm like, what? <laughs> what the hell is this? Like, it might have even been the first time I heard uh, electric guitar in my life. I was watching Bill and Ted. Yeah. I love the commitment to just how gonzo of a movie it is. Yes. It's gonzo. It's, so out there. it's, I mean, yeah, really doesn't rely on the time travel stuff at all. 
it yeah it's uh it's something so i mean those are worth watching again i did watch the third one but i'll save i'll just say it's for now it's it's good to face the music it's it's well done i think you know when it drops in price we'll we'll cover it on the show because right now it's it's doing the the curious thing that the uh animated uh scooby-doo cartoon i think just called scoob that feature did where um it's in theaters very briefly if you want to risk your life and go to a theater which i don't um and if you want to watch it at home you can either rent it for twenty dollars or buy it for 25 as a digital thing yeah so that's uh i mean not bad i guess that's how much like a blu-ray would be so yeah and seeing something in a theater i don't know about i mean that's a question for you guys how much does it cost to go see a movie on a friday night because out here it's about like uh oh like twelve dollars a ticket yeah, I mean, I'd probably say after concessions and junk, I'm clocking in like twenty something bucks, twenty six bucks, you know. Well, you know, but before the dark times began, <laughs> uh, like we we would either just just like see a matinee when it was cheap and no one was at the theater, right. or we would make a whole yeah. date out of it and we'd go to this like movie tavern that's in that's in town. <laughs> well, not oh, in town. It's one of those that serves beer and meals and things. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean yeah. the the theater we really liked, and uh, I hope it's still in business. But it instead of having big theaters, it has maybe seven rooms. That each room has maybe like five couches, and that's it. Oh. Sort of like intimate ah. kind of themed things. But the menu is a good bit more expensive. They have a sommelier that comes in, and you can get champagne or wine that pairs. A sommelier. Yeah. Wow. Holy it, shit. And and when you enter it, it's it's like a regular bar that has a jazz. It's a jazz club. I mean, but it's it's expensive, but I think sort of worth it. You got your you got your sommelier. You got your saucier. You got your cinema verite. Well, and you and I mean, one of the rooms we we went there to see Bohemian. No, to not Bohemian Rhapsody, the Rocket Man, the Elton John movie, and um. One of the one of the things it wasn't even like a couch. It was like this like swing kind of thing. This like swing hammock thing you could sit on. Like it was like interesting. Yeah. So um, was it a fuck sling? It, it kind of looked like it. It was kind of weird. It was like, just huh. repurposed a little it, bit. It, 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 I, I was just thinking, how would you eat food in that thing? You'd have to be pretty well balanced. <laughs> oh, it ain't food you'll be eating. Oh, oh God, yeah. But uh, oh, and, anyhow, yeah. That's what I've been watching. Uh, Will, what about you? <laughs> okay, so I saw. So, something, uh, uh, because of my obsession with Lost Media, I saw something that I have been looking forward to for, for the past year. Um, I saw Live from the Space Stage. It is a documentary uh, uh, directed by uh, Matthew Serrano, or Serrano, I'm not sure how he pronounces it, uh, who I believe is one of the people behind Defunct Land. Uh, and it's a documentary all about Halix, which was like, this like sci-fi themed rock band that performed at the space mountain stage in 1983. How do you spell that? Halix? Halix. Yeah. Halix. Uh, H A L Y X. It's a band that had a Wookiee in it. <laughs> cool. Like that's like, it, it, it was like this sort of like, sort of a, a mix of like late, late era hair metal early era, like new wave. That was kind of like their, their musical style. But like, like there's like the the bass player or the guitarist, the drummer, and the lead singer, pretty much dressed like rebel pilots from from Star Wars. 
But then the bass player is a guy in like a Wookiee type suit. The percussionist <laughs> is like this guy in an alien amphibian suit. And their keyboardist is a cyborg that comes out on this Professor X like armored chair. That's amazing. And this yep. this documentary is is amazing, and it's and it's all about that and like how they were sort of they were. This was the testing ground because the idea was you eventually take it on tour. There's merchandising. There's concert videos. There's all this stuff. But of course, that ended up not happening, and then it follows what happened to the band members afterwards. Wow. And where can people find that? Uh, it's all, all if go to the uh, defunct land YouTube channel, the complete documentary is available there. Very cool. And oh, and uh, he just updated it to have uh, closed captioning as well. Nice, uh, Alex. Right. What have you been watching? Um, I recently watched Tesla, um, starring my uh, Ethan Hawke, my spirit animal. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, what a cool movie. It's by Michael, um, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, Al Moreta, I believe. And he did another um, kind of biopic um, about uh, called Experimenter, which is really cool. And this kind of follows in the same, um, same mold. It's very experimental and it's very... Um, self-aware and it does a lot of breakaways it's not a very conventional like it's narrated from the as from the character who play uh who's uh, jp morgan's daughter who funded a lot of tesla's projects and it'll have her like googling like you know like pictures of nikola tesla and you've got kyle mclaughlin playing thomas edison um it's a fascinating movie and it's really fun and i think what i like is that if you're doing like a biopic and you kind of you know um you know fudge a few details for narrative convenience you're already kind of lying, so you might as well just go all out and just capture the essence of a character instead of try to recreate their life. And I think that's what Tesla does so well. And it's a really fascinating movie, so I would urge anyone to go out and track it down. It's pretty pretty awesome. Does Ethan Hawke try to do an accent? or He isn't. He's, he's doing an accent, but it's more of like an old world accent, I would say. Mm-hmm. Like It's like kind of like just like a gravelly, low tone. Like I think there's a name for it, but it's like when... You're vaguely European, but not committing to like a region. Yep. Kind of sounding. It's um, it's very gravelly, and he does is very interiorized uh, performance. Um, he's uh, he's terrific, and Kyle MacLachlan's wonderful as Thomas Edison. Um, mm. and there's definitely a uh, a Twin Peaks reference because he sits down with Nicola at one point and he goes, "Let's have a nice American meal, pie." <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, Agent Agent Cooper, man. Like, who else? Yeah. So, yeah, Tesla's pretty awesome. I would, I would uh, urge anyone to go check it out. Well, that's great. Um, Thrasher, you have a sequel scene for us to do? Uh, yes, this is the scene. This is from the uh, first act of the film. Uh, this is when uh, Stacy is uh, introduced while Wayne and Garth are hanging out at the Gasworks uh, nightclub listening to Cassandra's band play. <laughs> So we've got Garth, we've got Wayne, and we've got Stacy are our three roles in this scene. Great. Let's see. I'll, I'll, I can be Stacy. I'll dive on that grenade. Okay, I'll be uh, Garth. All right, I guess that, that means I'll be Wayne. Okay, it looks like there's no narration, so you don't have to worry about that. Great. Uh, uh-oh, don't look. Stacy. Where? Oh, God, I made eye contact. Psycho hose beast. Happy anniversary, Wayne. Stacy, we broke up two months ago. Well, that doesn't mean we still can't go out. 
Well, it does, actually. That's what breaking up is. Well, are you going to the gas works tonight? No. Don't you want to open your present? If it's a severed head, I'm going to be very upset. Open it. Uh, Okay, Russell, Russell, Russell. What is it? It's a gun rack. A gun rack. A gun rack. I don't even own a gun, let alone many guns that would necessitate an entire rack. What am I going to do with a gun rack? You don't like it? Fine. You know, Wayne, if you're not careful, you're going to lose me. I lost you two months ago. Are you mental? We broke up. Get the net. (laughs) Get the net. I love that. Great old timey (laughs) phrasing. (laughs) I'm amazed we got through this movie without just repeating a whole bunch of catchphrases. I, yeah, I'm borderline shocked, yeah. Including one that would end up canonized in Star Wars. Oh, what wait, you, which... What do you mean by that one? Uh, when when um when Benjamin comes to talk to Wayne about the sponsorship clause and the contract, and Wayne's immediate response is, excuse me, baking powder, and excuse me then became one of Jar Jar Binks's uh, catchphrases. Ew. Squeeze me was also used a lot on Full House. Uh, I believe after this movie. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, all right, so next week we're going to talk about Wayne's World 2. So very exciting there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. You can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. You can follow me on Twitter at Crab Nebula 1914. Um, if you like the show, leave us a good review on the Apple Podcast app. All of that stuff helps with the rankings, yada, yada, yada. Our theme yeah, song so... is written and performed by Mark with a C. Check him yep. out on markwithac.com. The first sequel cast, too. Uh, this is Matt. This is Thrasher. This is Alex. Bang. I'd like to come down now. If he was an ice cream <laughs> flavor, he'd be pralines and dicks. <laughs> <laughs>